Yo, what's going down, people? It is, um, oh gosh, what is it? It's day four of the BFI 63rd London Film Festival. And, uh, yeah, it's been a busy day, but seen, um, seen films, people, seen some definitely really good films today, which is great. It's always a bonus about these things So, um, yeah, got four films Four films to bring to you It's, um, it's a big one, alright So, uh, yeah We, and plus, as, plus we got those four films There's a couple of Q&As um, Yeah, because I went to a couple of night screenings Hence the lateness of this episode So yeah, we got a couple of Q&As Which um, will definitely, one of them will definitely give you uh, a, a good insight as well Because, you know, it was a film I didn't particularly it, You know, it wasn't for me it, I'm not the audience But, um, you know, I tried to be fair in the, in the, in the review um, but I think the Q&A will give you um, more insight as well And help you make that decision if, if, if that's a film you want to see So yeah, today we got, um, what, St. Maud um, What else have we got? We got Little, um, little Monsters um, We got Jojo Rabbit and we got premature, so yeah, some good. It's a good day for reviews. So um, check it out, people. Um, sit back and relax. Boom, ride's about to begin. People forgot all about a film in the intro. Um, yeah, we've we've got um also just mercy. So um, yeah. You're gonna get that today too. So um, yeah. Now you can sit back and enjoy the ride. Okay, cool. Okay, so Saint Maud. Now I've just come out of that screening. Um, so it was written and directed by Rose Glass, and um, produced by Oliver Casman and Andrea Cornwell, and it's starring. Uh, Morfield, Morfid, Clark, and Jennifer Eel. Um, so the breakdown is this: having recently found God, self-effacing young nurse Maud, um, Morfield Clark, is untiring in her spiritual devotion. Landing a job as full-time private carer, she arrives at a plush. Home of Amanda, played by Eeyore, a hedonistic dancer left frail from a chronic illness. While they could not be more different, Amanda's taste for the extravagant being the antiphase of Maud's pious values, the mismatched pair are intrigued by each other. Slowly building a brittle bond of compendency. But when a chance encounter with a former colleague throws up hints of a dark past, it becomes clear there is more to sweet Maud than meets the eye. As Amanda's self-indulgent behaviour escalates, 
tensions between the couple steadily grow, leaving Maud convinced that she has been sent to serve a higher purpose. Roseglass, gothic tinged psychological drama is a wickedly playful piece of work by turns insidiously creepy dark humorous and heartbreakingly sad the two leads crackle with palpable chemistry with jennifer eel's beautifully nuanced performance proving the perfect complement to morfield clark's star making turn as the unsaintly Maud, consistently upending expectations, this thrilling one-of-a-kind is an almost religious experience. Now, um, I think from the beginning, actually, you you realise something is up because, like, the first thing we see is Maud sitting fully clothed in a shower with blood dripping down with the water looking up at the sky like she's looking for purpose of some sort um then we get flashes of the room that are just upended so we we that's the first thing we see then we we go to mood having dinner and and praying because she's just about to start this new new position um, so yeah, she. So it's weird. We get that opening image of just craziness, just unraveling. Then what we see of Maud is is this young lady who is very devout. You know, when she's packing everything up, she's got the cross with her. She's praying, looking for guidance, like hoping that this new work is fulfilling and everything is good. And she goes and we just see her being like the modicum of devotion, you know, just in all her actions, being super helpful, polite, nice. And... you know this juxtaposition and you're just wondering okay so what like what hmm what what don't we know here and and it's play like morfield clark is doing a fantastic job of playing this character who in one note was seeing as yeah this pious young nurse and then, slowly, this darker side kind of creeps out. But then creeps out in this way where it's a bit like, what are we actually kind of witnessing? Is, is, is it darkness? Is it confusion? You know, because then with her interactions with Amanda... Um, you know, at first, like, she's just helping her. Then, we we get to a point where she's, like, trying to save her soul. Trying to have her find God. But she's doing it in a way where she's oblivious to 
what's happening around her and how she's being perceived which is fascinating um like jennifer ill the way she plays amanda is fantastic because it's this person who is dying she's got this illness used to be a dancer so you know she has all this energy this this lust for life that now is being quenched but she's still trying to keep it going as long as she as long as she can having people over having different lovers over and then we see the judgment the way that life and Maud's life clash which is very interesting because at first you know it's like is the judgment being repressed and then it's like hmm how you know like how is all this kind of playing together so i think that was done really well but yeah um you know more bumps into a friend and we see how that seems to start a train a chain reaction of some sort and the fallout from that, the way that is being portrayed and everything like that, is really interesting. Now, the film is shot really well. You know, it's very interesting. It's very subtle in tone. You know, not really bright and dazzling. It's very subdued. But as the film goes on, the these slight little effects because you know from the beginning it's pretty standard you know it's 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 a just shot traditionally you know just nothing nothing glitz and glamour but yeah as the film goes on we're starting to see these effects come in which are used to um i i think illustrate delusion and this off-kilter perception because that's one thing that we get a lot of this whole um what mood is seeing you know really like the things that she is perceiving along with what is actually happening which is interesting because there's some things that happen in the film that you're like did that actually happen or is that just this weird perception that Maud has kind of created especially there's a scene between Maud and Amanda that you're just like wait what what happened there like what was that so yeah it's really fascinating i mean we seem to have like there definitely seems to be a um uh, some sort of mental illness which is there but then there seems to be also kind of repressed sexuality and a, a confusion on sexuality so it's like we have different things happen in the film that kind of show that there's an incident in a pub that shows a complete 180 on what Maud 
has shown us before, but then also this this coldness of the interaction. And even after that, there's another thing that on the surface, uh, you know, it seems like it's more, not emotional, but there's more a thirst, a hunger in it. But then we kind of, like, because we, we see this other stuff around it. So it's just like, oh... What what's happening in your mind in, while this is happening, you know? And there definitely then just seems this regret, and and this whole kind of uh, feeling of loss and confusion that then escalates to the very end of the film. And the very end of the film is it's very crazy, and what happens. But very interesting in uh, the, the the two kind of perceptions in that one event, and we're left with the reality. But luckily, it's very short, and then we finish. So it's 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 a very it's a very weird film, but very interesting. You know, I I, I think it's this dark theme that travels through does keep you captivated throughout now it's not an overly long film you know it's 83 minutes so just over an hour and 20 but you you are just fixed all the way through now i don't know if necessarily this is a big screen film but it is something interesting. I think it will do very well on um, a streaming platform. You know, so it, like if this was on Netflix, Amazon Prime, something like that. I think it will do very well in the watching on that front. But um, yeah, if you are intrigued by these themes, I would definitely say um, go watch it. It is an 18. So be aware of that. But you can see it on, um, so tomorrow, Sunday the 6th of October at 12.45 at the View West End. Um, And then still at the View West End on Sunday the 6th at quarter past one. And the final screening is on Tuesday the 8th of October at... 8.40 at the BFI South Bank. So, um, yeah, if you um, are intrigued by this, I I would go check out St. Maud, (laughs) which is um, an oxymoron in the title, really. But, look, I, I can't speak more highly of the two lead performances, Morfield Clark and Emily... Jennifer Eel do fantastic jobs. So um, yeah, Synth Mode. Um, the, the, you know there'll be a link in the, um, the episode details. Uh, and if you're intrigued, if you want to find out more, check out the BFI website. Okay, cool. 
Okay, so we're going to, um, yeah, next film coming up is going to be Little Monsters. Now, what you're going to hear is there's an intro by the director and one of the producers, then the review, then there's going to be the Q&A. So, um, yeah, that's what you're getting next, okay? Cool. Okay, people, so just come out of a screening of Little Monsters. This is um, the new film from um, Abe Forsyth. He also wrote the film. Um, it was produced by Jessica Calder, Keith Calder, Steve Hut um Jody Matheson, Bruna... Papadiri, um, and it's starring Lapita Nyongu, um, Josh Gad, Alexander England, Cat Stewart, and Diesel Latorassa. Uh, music was Piers Burbronk de Vere, um, and cinematography is Lachlan Milne. Um, and the uh, the gist of the film is this, okay? So, Dave is at a crossroads in his life, recently dumped and with his aspirations of heavy metal stardom fading away. The eternal man-child is forced to crash on his sister's sofa. However, things look up when he meets the effervescent Miss Caroline, his five-year-old nephew's favourite teacher. Desperate to spend time with the object of his affection, 
Dave signs up to chaperone a school trip to the local petting zoo. But when the neighbouring military base accidentally unleashes a horde of zombies upon the unsuspecting farmyard, Dave, Miss Caroline and their miniature posse must join forces to keep the flesh-eating army at bay, earning its place alongside modern undead comedy classics, Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland. This ruckus outing has more gags, gore and unashamed sense sentimentality than you can shake a severed limb at. So yeah, there you have it, people. Now, um, I would say you really get the you know the the feel of what this film is from the beginning. I mean I should say the tone of the film from the beginning, because we start off with um, a montage, really, of Dave arguing with his girlfriend. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, things happen and he ends up on his um, on his sister's sofa. And I think it, it's just then his interactions with his sister and the kid, you know, um, how all of that is. It, it kind of sets the tone moving forward, which is like it, you know, there are there are f- some jokes. There are, you know, there's there's definitely moments at the beginning when I'm laughing, you know, I, I, I did laugh at the beginning of the film a couple of times, um, and yeah, then it moves on to, um, I think the whole part of Dave meeting Miss Caroline, you know, the, the school trip, and all of that, and, um, yeah, I mean, it, it it it's fine, it's fine and all. Like, I think I did get a bit. Like it did seem that it, it it's playing to the common denominator, you know, like that just that low hanging fruit humor, and you could guess where this film is going, you know, from the giddy up, like I I could see. Okay, so that's going to happen, and, you know, so they're going to meet Mr. McGiggle, and, like, you know, okay, so, how is Mr. McGiggle going to be? Oh, oh, well, obviously, it's going to be like that, because, you know, we, we, we've seen that character in real life, you know, we know what those guys most of the time turn out to be. So it's not really a shock when we see it in the film. Um, and then, yeah, I think just, like, there's stuff that does seem to be telegraphed. Like, um, yeah, blue, blue to the sky, orange to the, you know, like, when you have that, you know, you know that 
there's going to be a mishap with that later on. It's just, you know, it's the way it's presented to you. And there does seem to be a lot of stuff that is presented to you in a fashion where you're like, oh, okay, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I see. I see where that's going. Like, yeah, I get it. Um, which is fine, because this is the thing, right, I laughed at the beginning, and then I didn't really laugh again, but everyone else did, everyone else in the screening was in stitches, you know, everyone loved it, that's cool, because, that, so this is the thing, like, Shaun of the Dead, I, I didn't like Shaun of the Dead So Yeah, I mean, this plays it Definitely along those lines And not along the lines of Oh, it's a similar film It's a similar idea But in in the humour I would say That they go On on this similar kind of route um, Now, there there is um, there's a word that is said in the film Which I have no issue with I have no problem whatsoever You know, with the word used uh, You know, and I think especially within jo- a joke Kind of thing But I was a bit like But was there really a need for it? You know, because, like, the way it's said and the character that says, I just feel like, I kind of feel they would have said something else. You know? I just didn't think it fit that character. So I was a bit like, eh. But yeah, the like, the scene doesn't bother me. The word doesn't bother me. I just feel that, like, I didn't believe that that character would have, I think... When you've seen, like, other, I think you do something else, you know? Um, so, yeah, like, it's moving along. There are things that just are probably milked a little too much, like um, cleaning fluids, you know, probably a bit too much. Like, if you just hit it once, that's fine. But to go again and again, like, it's been like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. So there's this stuff, right? Um, but, you know, other... D- yeah, as I said, look, everyone loved it. Everyone thought it was hilarious. So it's just not... It's just not for me, really. Because um, I could see, yeah, again, I, like, I saw the end coming. There's a situation, and I was really hoping that they weren't going to do it. But they did it, which is fine. It's fine. And and don't get me wrong, this is definitely not the worst film I've seen. And it's not a terrible... Like, it's shot well. It is definitely shot well. Um, And, yeah, we get some interesting, like, angles and camera work and everything like that. That's all fine. It, it's just not... Yeah, just not my type of film. Um, But, listen, I would say, if you liked... Shaun of the Dead Like if you liked any of those Cornetto films 
this is definitely your kind of thing. If you like Shed of the Dead, this is your kind of thing. Yo, I, I, I think if you just like, um, yeah, I think some of those, um, like, you know, a stepbrothers type of humour film, yeah, this is you. This is all you. You are definitely going to enjoy this film. So, um, you know, well, that that's a good thing. It is... It's 94 minutes. Um, and I, it's not... That's not too bad. It's not too bad. Like, yeah, there's, I think there's probably moments where I've been like, eh, you could have probably cut that out. But, you know... Whatever, because yeah, I'm not the audience, so it's fine. It's a it's rated fifteen, so yes, people be aware of that going in. Uh, but there are uh, you know a couple of other times you can see it during this festival. So it's playing um, Monday, the seventh of October, at three thirty at the View West End in Leicester Square. Then the next day, Tuesday the 8th of October at quarter past six. And this time, people, it's at the ICA Cinema, which is, um, if you go through Leicester, um, Trafalgar Square, it's just kind of up from Trafalgar Square, so not far. Um, and then it's being released in cinemas on the 15th of November. So, yeah, if you can't get to... The Monday the 7th or Tuesday the 8th, 15th of November is when you would be able to um, see this film. So, uh, you know, it's Little Monsters. Um, it's written and directed by Abe Forsyth, um, produced by Jessica Calder, Keith Calder, Steve Hutinski, Jody Matheson and Bruna Papendra. And it's starring Lapida Nugingo, um, Josh Gad, Alexander England, Cat Stewart, and Diesel Latorca. So yeah, people, check it out if um yeah, this sounds like it's for you. If you're a Shaun of the Dead fan, um, you know, Shed of the Dead fan, any of that, yeah, this is you. How did the jokes land? How did the response uh, from the UK crowd compared to the rest of the world? Uh, yeah, pretty, pretty good. You're a good, you're a good audience. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no, really, like, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for all coming and, yeah, and laughing at cunt. <laughs> so they just did it again. Um, you mentioned at the beginning that the, the story has very kind of personal origins for you. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about how that story developed into what we saw and at what point did the zombies come into it? So, I mean, look, I told you a little bit about my, my son, you know, his food allergies and, and, you know, kindergarten teacher and everything. Um, I actually went on a uh, school excursion about halfway through his uh, first year in, in kindy. And we went to uh, at that petting zoo, actually. That, that we, we designed half of that petting zoo and, and then the other half with all the animals and everything is the real petting zoo. Though so I actually went on, on a school excursion with my son, um, 24 other five-year-olds, and his kindergarten teacher. So um, when we were on uh, that excursion, we were driving in a tractor train and we were um, going down this path and there was something uh, on the road ahead of the tractor train. The woman driving the tractor train stopped it 
went up to investigate, and it was literally, that's when the idea came to me. It was like, what if that was a zombie? Yeah. <laughs> and then it just kind of kept extrapolating further. Like, if that was a zombie, how would you protect 25 kids from, from being ripped apart and eaten? But also, how would you stop their minds from being corrupted? So, um, and I remember thinking at the time, if, if, that, if that were to happen, I had such faith in his kindergarten teacher. She was exactly the person that I would feel comfortable with my son uh, if, if he got caught in a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so, I mean, getting that kind of balance between gore and horror and having kids on, you know, on film must be a difficult one to kind of balance. We, when you were writing, we, did you ever think, no, I, I couldn't possibly go that far? Was there anything you had to kind of pull back on? Um, look, I mean, it, it was extremely difficult filming this movie because the kids were all five years old and, and that was really important for me because there's a big difference between a five-year-old and even like a six-year-old and you know certainly and look, we looked at kids like there were seven or eight that happened to look younger but there's just something about kids at that age which you can't you can't pretend you can't fake so so that meant that we had to design the whole movie around them being able to actually be led through it. And you know, even though there were like horrific things, you know, in terms of gore and things like that, certainly Josh Gad's character too, um, we had to kind of come up with tricks so they wouldn't actually, well, like, you know, for instance, you know, when Josh is screaming at them and swearing at them, we had code words that we used that we later dubbed in the actual swear words. They obviously didn't hear um, that you know Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny weren't real. <laughs> Although two of the fucking kids' parents brought their, their kids to Sundance, and like I had to make it really clear when we introduced the film, there was like because I introduced like you know Peter was there, Josh was there, Alex is there, and these kids are here too. And just so we're clear, you know the whole point of this movie was like not exposing kids to this horrible stuff, and we don't condone the fact that they're in the audience tonight. And those kids found out. Um, that Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny doesn't exist because their fucking parents brought them to Santa <laughs> um, So anyway, so it was like a really tricky shoot to kind of manage all of that stuff and certainly Josh's character, there's a, there's a whole other cut of this movie where Josh's character is even more extreme than, than what he is. So, um, so yeah, it's just constant balancing. And how difficult was it working with kids, working with that many? Of course, people always say you never work with kids and animals, and you working with kind of 25, five-year-olds. How was that experience? Well, the, the animals were a lot easier than, than the kids. <laughs> like, it, was, it was really, I'm not going to lie, it was really hard. It was probably, and certainly, you know, Jody and I, it was something that we said before, like, we were, like, two weeks from the shoot, and we did have a moment where we went, are we, are we crazy? Are we stupid, like, doing this? But also we knew that if we were able to capture, again, how they just were and how they reacted, we knew that that would be something special and, and worth pursuing. And even if we did fail, we, we would at least know that everyone would go, well, yeah, but no one would fucking make that work. So, um, so yeah, it was, it was the hardest thing, the hardest thing I've ever done, and I don't ever want to work with kids again. <laughs> uh, does anyone have any questions they'd like to ask you? Please just raise your hand. You've got a question on the side just here. There's just a microphone making its way down to you. Earlier about a different cut. I'm a film editor, so editing for me is like the second rewrite of the script, or yeah. like the final rewrite of the script. Was so when you tested the movie with family and friends and test readings, what is something that you learned that impacted the finished film? Um, well, I got that's the, the I, I can talk about this a lot. Um, we edited this, it took about six months for us to edit this movie. Um, and you know, this goes back to what you were asking before tone. Obviously, it was really hard to balance everything. 
Um, we we edited this movie in Australia and we also um, did a, spent a bit of time in LA um, cutting it over there too because we wanted to make this movie uh, sort of play for an American audience and also, uh, you know, this uses very sort of traditional genre, uh, like American movie kind of, uh, like, you know, it's a react structure, it's a hero's journey, it's all of those things. Um, so we we just did so many screenings for, for um, uh, you know, people with like friends but also like you know actual test screenings as well um i think look the, the thing that i learned personally for me with editing this and my last film is that that it's not right until the final sort of week that it all actually works and so for like a good five months this was really really sort of hard and terrifying and then all of a sudden we got the balance of everything right and the whole point for me with this movie was it is the extremes of the best of human behaviour, you know, being Miss Caroline and the kids and the way they see the world, um, and also the worst of human behaviour as well, obviously, you know, Dave at the beginning of the movie and then Josh Gad's character as well. So it was really trying to get that balance and, yeah, it took a long time. Um, yeah, we've got another question just on the same road, just here in the middle. <coughs> just a quick question, um, how did you get Josh Gash and Josh... Josh, Gad, and uh, Peter now go on board in the film. Um, so Lapita, we cast Lapita first, um, and that we were uh, we'd started pre-production. There were seven weeks before we um, started shooting. We had a list of names for that role that um, that were, you know they would have all been great in their own way. But our US casting agent said, if you just want to take a swing for the fences, you've got a little bit of time. Like just go for whoever you think is the ultimate person. To, to play this role, and for me that was Lapita. Um, she embodied everything that I felt like you know could handle all the, you know the aspects of Miss Caroline. Um, and I so look, no one, all the producers and you know myself too, thought there was no way in hell that you know we would get her. I happened to be with the same agency with her, not with the same agent, but the same agency in in LA. So that at least got the script to her agent, and it just so happened to coincide with. Um, but Peter had just done Black Panther, she'd just done a bunch of big budget things, and she'd said to her agent, you know, I just want to do something different, like, um, I want to do a comedy. And her agent put the script in front of her, um, going, well, I mean, it doesn't get more different than this. And <laughs> she just responded to, you know, the, the heart of the movie and, and, you know, what I wanted to, to do with it. So I was talking to her, um, we had a Skype, like, the, the next evening, and then, I think it was like the next day we woke up, and, and yeah, she was, she was on board, so. Uh, and then Josh, um, we were actually, there was, a, there was a number of other names that we were looking at before we got to Josh. And Josh, and that's actually because Josh was unavailable. And then it suddenly come, it came around again and then he was suddenly available. And the thing that's, that I love about Josh in this movie, which is different to any other name that we were sort of discussing or anyone else that we could think of, Josh is so believable as the, the you know, initial incarnation of Teddy McGiggle, which is the, you know, the, the world's most famous children's entertainer. And that's also because Josh is Olaf from, you know, from Frozen. He's legitimately you know, that person for real. Um, but, but he's also, you know, he, he was in Book of Mormon for Trey Parker and Matt Stone. So he's got a, he's got a very subversive sort of side to, to, to him. So that was what's great about him is then when he switches and, and Teddy McGiggle you know, becomes what he becomes, it was, it, it's, it's much more, shocking and he was 
really letting off a lot of steam. <laughs> like, and that, just as an example of how fearless he is too, is that, um, you know, when he bites the kid's nose off and then makes himself sick, that was just an idea that he had. Like, 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 was like oh, wouldn't this be funny? And then I was like, and I went away and thought about it. And then the next day when he showed up to set, I was like, hey, yeah, so we've got a, we've got a kid, we're gonna rig up a nose on him and he can actually do it. And he was like, oh, fucking hell. But, 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 but again, he's fearless, you know, and even though he is, you know, Disney's Josh Gad, you know, he's also prepared to do that, so. Uh, we've got a question just up in the back row. Just behind you. Hi. I'm really stoked about the movie. That was so good. Um, it's quite a saturated genre with zombies. So how did you, because I think the movie's really fresh. So like, how did you go about compiling what tropes you were going to go with and what tropes you were going to leave behind and how you were going to make them different? Um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it completely is a saturated genre and it wasn't something that, I, I didn't set out to make a, a zombie movie. Like, as I said before, the idea just kind of came to me and then I, you know, wanted to do it. I think the advantage of there being so many zombie, us having seen so many zombie movies is you don't actually need to ex explain them much beyond are they fast or slow. So that's what we could just go, yeah, cool, they're zombies. And I'm not like, and actually this goes back to the, that question before too. When we were doing these test screenings in LA, um, our producers had invited a lot of genre filmmakers to, to, to some of these screenings and they, it was really difficult because they, like in these screenings, you get to the end of them and they didn't like the movie because they're like, well, you didn't, you didn't show people actually sort of knocking wood onto the doors and like sealing them in, or you didn't do that, or you didn't do that. And I was like, yeah, you're, yeah exactly, I didn't do that, because I don't give a fuck about it. So it's not, it's not I'm more interested in the sort of the heart of it and, and doing something sort of, you know, that we haven't seen in this type of genre. So yeah, to be honest, it was just, um, and, and I realized coming to, because one thing I've been asked constantly, especially coming here, obviously, is the Shaun of the Dead comparison if you make, a zombie comedy, you are going to be, that is the high watermark of a, a zombie comedy. And that is, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's a fantastic film. And, you know, Edgar Wright is a, you know, an amazing filmmaker. But I knew that I wasn't able, I wasn't going to be able to compete in the same way that he made that movie. So it was actually making it more about, you know, the characters' relationships and, you know, the heart of it. Um, we've got time for a couple more questions if there's, uh, if there's anyone. Yeah, we've got another one here at the back. Um, hi, just following up on the previous question, given the, um, the tropes of the genre, were you ever tempted to make the ending more open-ended, sadder, more subversive? Um, I really, I really yeah. like the end. I really like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love the fact that it doesn't go <laughs> at some point you sort of expect it to go. Yeah, no, look, I, and I think that goes back to the, the film that Jodie and I made before was a very bleak movie, and it was... Um, it was a movie about a race, a really horrible race riot that we had in Australia, um, and it was a really tough movie to make. We, you know, we're very proud of that movie, but it was really it, it ended in a really um, pessimistic way. So, you know, I really wanted to actually just make something that was, you know, upbeat and fun and and, and optimistic. And, and again, that's everything that my son had actually taught me, you know, too. So, the whole movie is a real, you know, love letter to to my son. You know, there's. He found his confidence through dressing up as Darth Vader. He has a, his attachment toy is a, is a lamb. Um, you know, um, all his soft toys are in the movie, sort of hidden in, in some places. Um, 
but you know, he's, he's eight years old now. He's not he's not going to be able to you know see this movie obviously for for a while. So I'm not a fucking idiot. I don't. So, um, so yeah, so it's it's you know what he's taught me. That's a celebration. Of I think we've got time for a couple more questions, um, if there are any. Yeah, we've got a question just over here on the side. Oh, hi. Um, I just know that, I mean, I wonder if you like Tracy Moffat, the photographer, because I saw references to her in some of the shots, and I don't know whether that was purposeful or... But my DP might may have and maybe has put them in there. She looks at, oh, I think she's interesting for you because she looks at losers. So she photographs losers at the Olympics, not the winners. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
Okay, people, so I've just come out of um, Just Mercy. This is the new film by director Destin Daniel Creton. Uh, it was produced by Jill Netter, Asher Goldstein, and Michael B. Jordan. Uh, it was written by um, Destin Daniel Cretin and Andrew Lantham. And the film is starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Rob Morgan, Tim Blake Nelson, Rafe Spall, and Brie Larson. Um, the music was by Joel P. West, cinematography Brett Porlock. And the, um, the gist of the story is this. Fresh from Harvard Law School, fledgling attorney Brian Stevenson, played by uh, Jordan, defies the wishes of his parents who are concerned about the notoriously racist South when he ventures to Alabama to open a law practice to support death row inmates, routinely denied proper legal counsel. Meeting with a variety of prisoners, Stevenson soon encounters Walter Johnny D. McMillan, played by Fox, a black man accused of the brutal murder of a white teenage girl, an allegation he vehemently denies, with numerous factors clearly supporting innocence. Despite Johnny D.'s scepticism, that he will be afforded due diligence by corrupt system. Stevenson hires local advocate Eva Ainsley, who's played by Larson, and mounts an urgent case for a retrial, uncovering a chain of injustices and crucial oversights as they search for the truth. Um, it's adapted from Brian Stevenson's own best-selling memoir. Director Destin Daniel Creighton's methodical and interrogative approach paints a searing and often infuriating portrait of the fight for justice in the face of structural racism which feels all too timely nearly three decades after the case in question. Driven by powerhouse performances from Jordan and Fox, who are ably supported by a stellar cast, including Larson, Rafe Spall and O'Shea Jackson Jr., this is cinema at its most inspiring and essential. So this is... A really compelling story, you know, and I, I think when you get these films that are, are based on like true happenings, you know, something that has really occurred, you look at it and you're just like, how did this happen? 
And what were the consequences? You know, because when something like this occurs, people are consciously, you know, they're consciously doing something to pervert justice. So it's always like you want to know, like, what is the fallout? Like, how did it happen? What's happening to the people that made it happen? You know, I think that's that's a big thing that you kind of you want to see. So yeah, it's so it's like watching a film. We it starts off, and we have um, you know, we have Walter at work. Then he's just driving home, and then we see him get arrested. Then it kind of jumps to um Jordan, um, you know Brian as he's interning while at uni and then setting up the office you know speaking to his parents and moving and getting things started with um Eva and so we're, we're seeing all of this stuff happen and yeah it, it's it's really interesting also, there is a, a, a feel of a, a Sunday matinee film that you might have on TV, you know? Like, it, it, it's kind of safe. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of vibe that I was kind of getting from this. Um, we, we're seeing... Things occur, like things that aren't right. Like, um, so when Brian first goes to the the prison to speak with the prisoners on death row, he's made to strip search, and like lawyers don't get strip searched, right? But there was this one white cop who is an asshole and he's making him do this for no reason like for no reason um but the thing that i you know you wonder okay it's like he's a lawyer so surely he can make a phone call yuri because he went we see him then go to the da's office so you just like, why didn't you just go to the DA? Why didn't you make a phone call? Why did you do that? And like, there's certain things that don't get explained. Because, you know, I think everyone's wondering, why did you strip? Because you probably didn't have to. So it's it's not quite clear, but it it feels like that scene is there to hammer home the inherent racism of the area, which then like it creates another feeling about the film because look, we know like this is dealing with a racist case. But if you're going to do these things, show these things without 
an explanation and especially when there's a question to why it, it, it feels like you're treating the audience like idiots you know what I mean it, it, it's very black and white you're, you're playing like everyone is dumb so I feel that there should have been some explanations at times you know to why certain things like another problem I, 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 a feeling I kind of had was sometimes the conversations didn't really feel like conversations it kind of felt like people are having monologues with each other and they're having kind of these righteous conversations you know so they're talking and but they're hitting all these certain words within this conversation you know which is just a bit like hmm like really that's that's what's being said that's how you're doing it hmm I don't know I don't know about that and yeah it's just a little bit like it it just plays a little bit false a little bit odd in that respect like it's still very interesting but like we then you know during the film we see the racist cop that makes him strip search now all of a sudden he's being really nice and thoughtful to um like Walter he's helping him out and you're just like wait what so what brought about this change how do you go from making uh you know Brian strip for no reason to then this not explained like Brian gets pulled over for no reason but he doesn't then go to the police office he doesn't talk to the DA there's no following that up which you think that's odd because he's fighting injustices and you know if the police can pull him over that means they can they're pulling anyone over which then leads to people being in jail and everything like that so you're just like but surely he would follow that up because that's an example of systematic racism but he doesn't which is like huh that's like why that doesn't make any sense i'm a bit baffled and so yeah we have these kind of things like there's an incident in it when um so they're trying to prove um some evidence in walter's case is is wrong and they find out that they did something to a guy to get him to give false testimony. So they just put him up on, um, they, you know, they, they, they put him up on the stand. But they just go, did you give false testimony? No, I didn't. And that was it. And it's just like, 
But why didn't you say what was done to him to make him give that testimony? Because that's part of the evidence. That's a big part. That shows a corruption in the system. But they didn't. Which is is very weird. You know, because it's just like, by showing what was done to him, it, it, you then can't question what he says. So, it, it, it's, but these things weren't explained. Like, if there was a certain reason, and they told you that within the context of the film, yo, it makes sense. You'd be like, okay, that, yeah, yeah, okay, I see. But they didn't. So it's all very kind of sanitized. It really did feel slightly sanitized. Which is a real shame. Like, the the music in the film is nice. It's nice music. I didn't have an issue with the music. But. They're playing it in certain scenes, and it's just like, ah, like because it's 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 then becomes a bit false because you know why they're playing the music, you know what they're doing with this music, and it it's again it because it adds to this. Oh, we're painting the film like this, and. Look, if if you just told the story, I think everyone's going to think, okay, this is a messed up story. This is some crazy ass shit. No one's going to doubt that. So you don't need to show things in such a, a, a kind of black and white way. You don't have to ham things up in this fashion. So, yeah, I mean, because that's the thing that you get. Some of the acting was a little hammy. Like, Jordan and Fox. Sometimes they're just a little bit hammy. And, like, there's a lot of shots that linger on them. You know, and it's just like, ah. You know, it's just like, ah, it's just a bit too much, man. It's a bit too much. Or then, you know, there's the shot of Jordan going through files, sitting at his desk late at night. And you're just like, okay, yeah, we get it. Like, we, we really get it. You don't need that. And, you know, the film's 136 minutes. So it's just over two hours. But, yeah, it definitely feels there's points that seem to drag a bit. That they, yeah, they, they you know, I... I kind of think a little more editing could have been done to um make it a bit more concise you know make it run a little bit better ah but you know what tr- listen there, there was um a guy don't know what publication he was from he's sitting next to me and he was in shock, you know, he's like covering his face, he's like, oh my god, no, no, they didn't, 
oh man and like when he i i remember when the film finished he's just like oh 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 that was a roller coaster i'm just like okay but you know that goes to show right so i'm a kind of i yeah i believe i you know i get it i can be a bit cynical and yeah, I'm saying that I feel this felt a bit sanitized, a bit Sunday matinee, a bit preachy, a bit worthy. That guy thought this was powerful as hell. So, look, we all have different perceptions. So, you know, if I've, I would say, look, if you read this, if you read the... um the description of the film and you think oh that sounds really interesting go check it out you know go check it out why not but yeah i don't know like uh, here's a good one for you if you really enjoyed black Klansman, you will really enjoy this there's i was a bit the same with black Klansman. i mean listen back to the review yeah, I was a bit like, ah, it's a bit sanitized. It's a bit, it's, it's very safe. But again, like, loads of people loved it. So, yeah, I would, I, that is the benchmark. If you really enjoyed Black Klansman, you will really enjoy this film. So, to, um, to be able to see it, it is showing, um... On Wednesday the 9th of October at quarter past two um, at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square. Now the website is stating that it's only got stall tickets available. But you know the drill people. I've said it a lot. There are returns. So I you know what I mean check out check out the website um call the you know call the bfi pop into the bfi but if you, you get to the venue 45 minutes before there are returns so there's there's still a chance but there, you know there are tickets it's just in the stalls but if you want it further back there's that possibility so yeah there you go. So this was Just Mercy. Um, it's from Destin Daniel Creton. He directed it. He um, co-wrote it with Andrew Laneham. It was produced by Jill Netta, Asher Goldstein, Michael B. Jordan. And it is starring Michael B. Jordan, Jamie Foxx, Rob Morgan, Tim Blake Nelson, Ralph Spiel. Brie Larson and yeah in the in the you know in the breakdown it does mention O'Shea Jackson he's not really in it a lot but yeah he is in it so there you go people just mercy yo what's going down people just come out of a screening of Jojo Rabbit ah okay so let's get to the you know, the minutiae first, right? So this was written and directed by Tahiki Watiti. 
Um, it was produced by um, Kafo Neil, Takiti Watiti, Chelsea Winstanley, and it is uh, starring Roman Griffin, Davis, Tomasin McKenzie, Tahiki Watiti, Sam Rockwell, Scarlett Johansson. Um, and Stephen Merchant. Uh, yeah, it was a it was a, a a nice surprise to see Stephen Merchant, and I have to say, Rob, I didn't mind Robert Rebel Wilson in this. Sometimes she irritates me. In this, she was very enjoyable. Um, yes, but <laughs> I got sidetracked. I apologize. Okay, so the gist of the film is this: with films like. Hunt for the Wilder People, For Ragnarok, and What We Do in the Shadows. Taiki Watiti has long been amassing fans with his wicked sense of humour and smart blend of satire and pathos. Jojo Rabbit might just be his best yet. Jojo, played by um, Griffin Davis, is a young boy living in Germany. In the final days of the Second World War, the Nazi regime is crumbling, but remains stupidly vicious to the last. With his father gone, perhaps dead or even a deserter, Jojo is a game if Jojo is a game if somewhat inept member of the Hitler Youth. His closest friend an imaginary Adolf Hitler, played by Watiti, when he discovers his mother, played by Johansson, has been hiding a young Jewish girl, Mackenzie, um, in their house. Jojo must go to war with his own conscience, tackling the ludicrousness of racism and nationalism. Watiti has also crafted a film of great emotional charge and tenderness with Davis and Mackenzie exceptional as unlikely allies in a cast rich with comic genius including Stephen Merchant, Sam Rockwell and Rebel Wilson Johansson is dazzling demonstrating the full wattage of her on-screen charisma, riotously funny, moving and relevant, Jojo Rabbit is an absolute gem of a film, um, so I'd seen a few weeks back that, um, supposedly, um, some higher-ups in, um, Disney were worried about this film, you know, they were concerned because they thought it could be decisive and it's just not going to be a big hit. Yo, to whoever that was, I just want to say, son, be cool. You know what I mean? Because this film is magnificent. This film is hilarious. This is what people need right now because let's face it right we have become this 
I don't even know, man. I don't even know. Like, everyone's looking to be offended. People are trying to get comedians fired. Like, if you don't agree with someone, obviously you're a Nazi. It's become ridiculous. And this film, this film just highlights ridiculousness. And it does it in such a way that you can't not laugh. Like, who in their right mind is going to be laughing at Nazis, right? A film about Nazis. How is that funny? You know, if someone said, hey, yeah, I'm going to take you to a film about Nazis. Um, Better bring some, uh, you know, some spare underwear because you are going to laugh so hard. They're going to go, shut the fuck up. You're an idiot. Hey, bring that second pair of underwear because this film is so funny. Yeah, I just everyone in the goddamn screen was laughing their asses off. It it was oh just magnificent. Like it's like the first time you see Watiti as Adolf. It's just as Jojo's trying to um just prepare for a big like outing with the Hitler youth and he's trying to prep himself. And he's running through lines and then suddenly the camera pads and you see Hitler. And it's just, uh, you know, they're just practicing their hiling. And it is so funny. Just how Hitler shouldn't be funny. It's so, it was so funny, man. Oh my God. Just laughing so hard. And the stupid, like, facial expressions and the mannerisms of Hitler. It, ah, oh, god damn, this was great. And, it, and it's just that thing, you know, because, listen, you're going to have dicks in any walk of life. And if you try and say that, oh, my side are all fight, you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Because, hey, on, on whatever side of the line you are, there's going to be some assholes, And on the opposite to you, there's going to be some decent people. You just, you mean, you just divert on one small thing. One small thing. Like, you look at our party systems, right? Conservatives, Labour. Um, Democrats, Republicans. Now, I can guarantee that people don't agree with every single thing that their party says. But because there's one thing that you might be, I, well, I kind of, that's kind of, yeah, that makes sense to me. Just because of that one thing and the other party doesn't, it then means you vote for that one. So now everyone thinks you're just down with everything. No, it's not the case. And this is the thing here. So you, we, we, even like in the hit youths, Jojo and his little friend Yusuf, Yorkie, um, they, they're just like little dumb kids, you know? And they're hilarious. But it's like, 
Yo, you can't think, oh, they're dirty Nazis. Because they just weren't. And I think that's the joy. It's just making us look at these situations and going, hey, not everyone is this. Like, sometimes people are confused. Do you know Jojo. Like, he, if you'd asked him before, he'd be like, yeah, I don't like Jews. You know, because Jews have horns. They sleep upside down. Yes, this is all true, people. It's an important fact that I learned in this film. I didn't know Jews have horns, but they do. I always thought Ari Shafir looked a bit strange. Couldn't put my finger on it. It's because he has horns. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm glad I know. But, yeah, all of the... You know, he, he would have said that. Then he, um, you know... He 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 meets um he meets Eliza and everything changes and that's the thing it's exposure exposure is what society needs but people are just shutting themselves off because they're dumb but um yeah and this points the light on all of that it also points a light on. If you're throwing a grenade, right, make sure there's no trees around. Because that's just not, it's not going to end well, yeah? Don't throw a grenade towards trees, people. Important fact. The acting here, the acting here was really good. Just really good and fun. Like Scarlett Johansson was just oh, extremely charming. Tomasin McKenzie. I mean, she was was such a great role. You know, she put on such a good performance. And just a man, she had to do that with horns. So, hey, you've got to give it up to that girl. Um, like Sam Rockwell. Captain K. <laughs> oh, just you are fantastic, fantastic. Stephen Merchant as as a, an SS officer, it just worked. It just worked. It was ah incredible, incredible. And this is the thing, like, so the film was funny. It was so funny. I laughed so many times in this screening. And everyone around me was laughing too. But it also had these these really kind of poignant moments. Like towards the end, when Jojo's chasing the butterfly. You know? Or when Eliza asks him, what do I do now? You know, just just these little moments were just, and then like, when's your birthday? The first. Yes, that is right. And you realize, yeah, not everyone's an asshole. It's just these really nice little moments that just kind of, I think, just. If the film was just funny, that would have been fine. But when you throw these other little moments into it, it just 
gives it that this kind of pathos. It, it gives it this weight. You know, it, it it really helps reinforce the message, and it's an important message, people. You know, I, we we just need to understand each other. You know what I mean? Just need to understand each other. Um, and um, <laughs> I, there's like one of the lines that was just hilarious. Uh, and JoJo's having an argument with Eliza. He's just like, "I'm a Nazi." He's like, "You're not a Nazi. You're just a little boy that likes to wear a uniform and wants to be part of a club." He's like. Um, I'm massively into swastikas, so, yeah, make of that what you will, it's just like, oh my god, people, right, my throat was so sore after this film, because I laughed so much, it's just a joy to watch, it's just like, the, the the music, the music is great, because you recognise it all, but then these songs are sung in German, which was just an ingenious little twist, I mean, come on man, that, that was just genius, then you've got just the, you only just, I think, the camera work, just brought you in to the scenes enough. You know what I mean? It, it gave you that distance when needed. I like the, the the panning, just everything just works here. It's it's just great. So all of that, like the cam like the, the you know, just the tone of the film, the feel of the film, cinematography was just spot on. And especially at the end when it all goes crazy. You know what I mean? So it, it, it's just like, oh man. So yeah, got to give it, definitely have to give it up to, um, you know, the cats that worked on that. So Michael um, Gian- Giannaki, um, he was on the music and Mackay... Malemer Jr. Um, yeah, they were on the the cinematography. So, um, listen, you people, you need to see this film. It's a twelve A, so you know that I think that opens it up to a lot. You know what I mean? Um, it will be showing again. Tomorrow, so Sunday the 6th of October at 2.30, and that's at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square. Um, oh, people, if you've not been to um, the the new Odeon in Leicester Square, god damn it, the seats recline, there's so much legroom. It is really good. And they've got a Costa on site. Try the new Ethiopian blend coffee oh my god it's so good i i've sidetracked myself again apologies okay so yes sunday the 6th 2 30 odeon lesser square 
and Monday the 7th of October at 10 past 3 at the Odeon Tottenham Court Road. Um, so yes, if you want to see it now during the festival, there are your times. Otherwise, it's going to be released on the 3rd of January 2020, next year. That's next year, 2020, just so you know. Um, other information for you people, and this is important. So all screenings are going to be accessible. So um, the film has an audio description soundtrack and headphones are available on request. All right. Um, so the screening tomorrow, the 6th of October, is um, going to have English language subtitles including descriptions of non-dialogue audio. Um, so, yeah, that's for all um, all the hard-of-hearing film fans. You know, so, um, yeah, this is, um, this is a good look. This is a good look. I'm, I'm glad there's so many accessible screenings during this festival. This is a really good thing. Um, taking down the barriers to cinema going. So that's great, man. But yes, people, this is Jojo Rabbit, written and directed by Tahiti Wahiti. Um, it's produced by Kerfil Neal, Tahiti, Chelsea Win Stanley, and it's starring Roman Griffin Davis, Tomasine McKenzie, Tahiti. Um, Sam Rockwell and Scarlett Johansson, along with Stephen Merchant, Rebella Wilson. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's fantastic. Go check it out, people. Oh, it's it's a hundred minutes. It's not a long film. Not a long film at all. You know. So you and you won't be bored. You will laugh. So. Yeah, maybe book a massage for your jaw because it's going to ache for how many times you have laughed during this damn film. Trust me. All right? Cool. Enjoy it. Okay, people. So, what you're going to get now is premature. So, there, there was a Q&A. So, we're going to do the review and then we're going to have the Q&A after. Okay? So, um, yeah, enjoy, people. Okay. So, I've just come out of a screening of premature. Um, so, this was directed by Richard Ernesto Green. Um, produced by Joy Gaines, Rashad, and Darren Dean, and it was written by Rashad and Zora Howard. Now the film is starring um, Zora Zora Howard and Joshua Boone. Um, the the gist of the film is this: so temperatures are rising in Harlem. As Ayanna, played by Howard, prepares to depart for a college writing program. Then Aisha appears on the scene. 
Echoing John Singleton's poetic justice, Ayanna's arresting poetry charts the rocky terrain of first love. If the couple find themselves tethered to the reality of urban life, at incisive moments they manage to soar within the lovescape of their own making. The tender narrative, co-written by Howard and director Green, shifts between the narratives, passions and fierce insights of a young woman coming of age. The combination of a profound central performance and the film's assured direction elevate premature beyond a classic New York love story to something fresh and truly special. Um, so yeah, no, this was, this was a nice film, you know, it, it, it really had this kind of, just this kind of slice of life feel to it, you know, it, it's not anything like too in your face, it, it's just, I think, Brought to you in this way that just feels natural And I think natural is the key Because that's it All the interactions between the characters Especially um, Ayanna and um, Aisha Isaiah even Yeah, even those interactions they're just natural you know, they 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 feel like conversations that you might have with someone that you're trying to get to know you know like just everything you know like the first you know he 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 bumps into her in a laundromat and they're talking and then it's like how that then progressed that that felt like a natural thing, and some of the reassurances like, "Oh, I don't have to walk you all the way home. I just want to walk with you for a bit, and yeah, like this you know you, you understand that, that hey, people are cautious, so they're like, "Wait, you want to walk me up you're you're gonna find out where I live no, 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 so yeah, you have to precursor that you have to be like you know, hey, uh, no, I don't mean that what I mean is. If we just do this, you know, I like to get to know you. And so I liked that. I liked it had that trueness to it, you know, and everything is kind of kind of raw. Everything is kind of like you you can see those little hesitancies in the movement. You know, that first kiss, it's not just a swoop in and blah, 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 blah. no, it, it's just like you see the hesitation, you just like, um, and then the other person is a bit, oh, and then they relax into it, and it's just like, ah, uh, yeah, 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 I've been there, I know that, that's familiar to me, and, um, yeah, that I think that's what you want from a story like this. You want to because that's the way you relate to it. Now, don't get me wrong. 
these ones that have this grandeur to it, you know, and and like the the declarations of love and everything of these big statements and blah, blah, blah. That's fun. You can enjoy that, but you don't want that all the time. That's every now and again, you know, because it's shaped, because it's just like, oh, I've not seen, like, that's not how I do it. So it's fun to see it every now and again. But essentially, you want things that you can relate to, you know, and, that, and this is what it is. Now, the film, the, like, the bio of the film, yes, it, it does kind of um, reference poetic justice now. Like the element of poetry, so there are, and there's an element. There's a what, and when I say element, I would say it's a femic element because it's the poetry, and how the poetry kind of anchors the f- film. You know, because we have poetry throughout the film. Now, it's not like every other scene or anything like that, but it's in the right places. You know, so it adds an extra narrative, it adds an extra voice to the scene. And so that's how, like everything else, I'd say no, it's not like poetic justice at all. It's a story about two people falling in love. You know, two people trying to get to know each other And one of them does poetry But, you know, that would be saying Like, every every sitcom is the same When, you know, they're obviously not Like, so yeah, there's elements of poetic justice But you can also see things like um, Love Jones, which is one of my favourites One of my favourites man Love Jones But when you're talking about first love You know you can say um, Love and basketball You can say the woods You know there's a lot of films That have dealt with That first love And so Yeah I get There's probably elements of those films In this But then it's just there's so many things, yo. There's so many films with that love, like Fifty Day, Five Hundred Days of Summer, you know, um, Garden State. They're like all of these things deal with love and um, relationships and communication and all of that, and the pitfalls and the hurdles. So, yeah, I I, I think there's always going to be something. But I wouldn't say that it, it's a mirror of anything You know, this is something a little bit different Something a little bit new um, There are elements that, yeah, of course, we've seen before um, Like, uh, you know, there's um, I So, there's a... Uh, um, you know what, I'm not, I, yeah, because I'm not, I don't want to spoil anything, and I feel if I mention this one thing, that might, um, but there's something that comes up in the film, um, probably the end of the second act, towards the end of the second act, and I was a bit like, ah, I kind of wish that wasn't there, just because we've we've seen it 
in other things, you know what I mean? And and so I like the way that this was kind of divergent to a lot of other things. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not the end of the world, having this thing in. Yeah, definitely not the end of the world. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's one of those things. Um, but, yeah, there are a lot of... There's so many elements of this film that I liked. I liked the music. You know, I am a big fan of um, music in films. But music in films that add an extra narrative voice. You know, music that is essentially another character in the film. You know, the, the, the music that underpins it like that and isn't just a song for the background of this scene. You know, and um, yeah, this film, like I really like the music and, the, the, you know, the score, just the way the music integrated with things. And that was great. There's also a funness in this film, you know, which lets you kind of go, yeah, that's how I am with my peoples. You know, they're, they're, like there's one point when. um um. Yeah, Ayanna's with her friends And they're like, yo, what's going on? Oh, so you're, you're with your dude now And yeah, yeah, you look different And he's just like, hey, he fucked the colour back into your face You know? And it's just one of those funny things That kind of friends throw at each other You know? And, and, and so that was, hey, that was funny And... It's nice when a film adds in kind of little humorous moments without trying to be an overt comedy. You know, it, it's just trying to tell a story. And in life, yeah, there's a, just amusing things sometimes, you know. So, yeah, you, we have that. Um, but, yeah, I think the thing that really does underpin this film is just this connection it's just just the the human relationships and how we see them like Ayanna and her mum like that relationship and sometimes it's frostier than others but yeah that's just a natural thing now it's funny as well because like you have some of the elements that we see in certain films but they're not the core of this film so there's like conversations about politics there's conversations about like what it is to be a black person growing up you know just in society but the difference between a black man and a black woman and is there a difference between a black man and a black woman then we're also looking at like Music and should music have some sort of political message? Should music be the um, the score of the revolution, or could not music just be music? During like, what is the statement that should be made with these things? And yeah, that, that's a thing. Like, that's a conversation. I know that's a conversation I've had with people. 
And, you know, you're just talking about stuff and you're just like, look, this means this. And, like, why are we always talking about the same thing? And, you know what I mean? Like, people should be talking about that that just happened. And the fact that there's been no ramifications, you know? But, yeah, is is this a necessity? And so it's always interesting when you get this second kind of... um point of view on these things but you don't make it the film it's just a conversation because that's what it is in life it's a conversation that you can't sometimes have with people it's not to be on end of who you are so yeah no I, I like that um the ending is the ending is interesting because, because just the way it does, yeah, I'll let you be the, um, you know, the, the, the witness of your own interpretation, so, but yeah, it's just like, I liked how they ended it, there was moments towards the end, which I did find frustrating, but, I think that, um, yeah, I think that's a good thing, because I think that's because I, I'm invested, I got invested, you know, I emphasised with the characters, and so when a certain thing was going down, I'm just like, yo, what, like, why, why, what's the deal, no, I'm not cool with that, no, 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 and so, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with the fact that there was that frustration, but this is a raw film, for sure, it's definitely a raw film, it definitely kind of touches some nerves, but in a way that it's not like, hey, we're trying to be edgy, watch out, no, it, it's just, you know, the, like, as I said, look, it's kind of that slice of life, and in being that, yeah, sometimes shit comes up, so in that way, I would say, but I, listen, I definitely say check this out, and people, oh yeah, you do get another chance to check it out, um, so, it will be screening again on Monday the 7th of October at quarter to four at the View West End, so, you know what I mean, if, if you can get out of work early, if you can, you know what I mean, just finish what you're doing early, hey, if you've got the day free, even better, but yeah, people, I would definitely say, come check this out, right, um, it's 89 minutes, so it's not a crazy long film, Yo, you don't feel like, ugh, yeah, there's no point, I'm looking at my watch, I'm like, ah, fidgeting around, and yeah, I got invested in the film, so, um, that's premature, it's, um, directed by Rashad Ernesto Green, who also produced it along with Joy Gaines and Darren Dean, and he also co-wrote it with Zora Howard, who was one of the leads, along with Joshua Boone, so yeah, 
Check it out, Monday the 7th, quarter to four. All right. Actually, that was something that I that really struck me when I watched the film. It's like a lot of 
films or black and black brown cinema is about our narrative or the narrative is about the class struggle and I feel like what you've done with the film is infuse it with politics as opposed to actually make it a film about a particular sort of political issue or struggle um, and there were kind of several conversations and films that identify this sort of confusion happening mm -hmm. and um, one of them was the, the discussion that we had in the studio about the position of the black artist and their uh, assumed or presumed responsibilities um, and this sort of dichotomy between um, artistic vision and um, the zeitgeist. And I just wanted to, to ask you where you stand um, in that, because you've got different perspectives and sensations, but yeah, maybe you can I mean, and that's exactly right, right? You know, that's the, the discussion. That's the, that's the dilemma as a black artist. You obviously want to make art that, um, not only you have something to say, but you also want art that's gonna be consumed. Yeah. You want art that's gonna be funded. You want art that's gonna be well attended. You know, so where do we fall? <laughs> you know, when the audience has an expectation that black artists should be making or commenting on this particular thing in society, and if you don't do that, then well, you're not doing what you should be doing. Yeah. Um, so that was, I mean, that's the question that I'm posing in that. You know, obviously from the perspective of a musician, but I'm I'm asking that as a as an artist, as a storyteller, as a filmmaker as well. You know, mm -hmm. what is it that's expected from us, and can and are, and are we allowed to make art that 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 somehow, you know, that 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 goes against the grain sometimes. You know, that that offers another side of the equation. Maybe that kind of sway you your answers. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I mean. I, well, I tell you, I mean, I, like, I mean, obviously, the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, I, that 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 that's where I am. You know, I, I often am exhausted. You know, it's like you see a film, uh, a trailer, and um, it's like the the white cop comes up to the window. He's like, dum, dum, dum. <laughs> and then three seconds later, it's like the kid is dead in the street. Boom! You hear the gunshot. And it's like, you know, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna call out any particular film, no, be like, no, no, no. And, and then, you know, your friends are like, oh man, I can't wait to see that. It's like, yeah. I, I open up the paper every day and you see that. You know, uh, to, to, to go to a piece of art and, and see it over and over and over again. Look, I know we have to talk about those things, but it seems like it's being talked about. Yeah. You know, like, where, is the, where are the rest of the films? Where the, the, the rest of the art that, that deals with our lives that are not just something that you can look at that's separate from us, you know, that you can look at and feel sorry about. Oh, I've done my duty in society because I watched a film and I feel sorry about what they go through. What about when you watch a film and it just has brown and black people, but you relate to their struggle because it's a universal thing. They're not doing anything that's just because it's the color of their skin or going through something just because it's the color of their skin, but they're going through what we all go through, which is love and struggle and pain and all that, you know? Yeah. So anyway, that's where I stand. Yeah, I'm gonna ask one more and then open it up just to stay on the theme of artistry and then I've got time to ask more questions, but. Um, so Zora is also a spoken word artist as well, and the film opens with her beautiful um, poetry or her reciting some beautiful poetry. So can you maybe talk to us a little bit about how that was placed with the work pre-existing or was it made in that uh, incubation process of you working quite consistently? 
So in the original short film, there's a very similar scene um, to when she gave birth um, in the bathtub. Um, and yeah, I basically wanted to show the character at her lowest, um, alone and, um, and in pain, um, in order for her to then grow from, from that point forward. Um, Yes, it's meant to be harrowing. Somebody fainted during one of the Sundance screenings. Um, but, um, you know, it's ultimately, it's, 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 um, it's from there that she then can grow. I hope, I hope that answers your question. Was there, on, just, we've got a couple minutes, but on that note, was there much conversation between you and Dora's co-writer um, from a kind of woman's perspective and how that scene would be kind of like shaped or or worked in some way? Or did you discuss, is that a point that you you both discussed in the writing of the film? In that particular one, no. Um, that one was was very much established from the short. Yeah. Um, I th you know, on the day, the only thing that was maybe a surprise to her was that, you know, how nude she would be. Um, and um, you know, but she was a she was obviously a team player, and although it may have been uncomfortable in her parts, you know, like there was a necessity um, in that scene for you know that uh, at least that level of nudity. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, we're actually out of time, so um, I just want to end by thanking you um, for the film. Um, and yes, please. Um, just to let you know, there is another screening of the film tomorrow. So if you have uh, um, on Monday, Monday, apologies. Um, 
Um, so if you have enjoyed what you've seen, um, please do let people know and please join me. 345. <laughs> <laughs> okay, people, so there you go. A, um, another day of films done. Um, yeah, it's gonna be another early start tomorrow. Earlier than today, eight o'clock, man. Gotta be up and gotta be out, gotta be there for eight o'clock. Ah, yo, um, but that's cool. That's cool. I'm, an, I'm yeah, I don't sleep, so <laughs> it's gravy, man. But yeah, I cannot remember how many films tomorrow um, will be coming your way. But probably at least a couple, you know, I imagine a couple at least. So there is that. So, um, yeah, um, remember, all the information is going to be in the episode details. So if you want to, um, yeah, double check dates and, you know, film screening times and whatnot, it's all there, people. So, yeah, just go to the episode info and you're covered. But. Other than that, I'm gone, I'm out, and we'll see you again tomorrow, um, or later today, however you want to look at it. Alright, peace.